Hope you're all doing well. Good to see all of you tonight. Uh, I'm going to kick off our time tonight, well, after the news, with just uh, a brief conversation that will lead us into the rest of um, our time tonight. And basically, I just have a, a beginning question. Uh, what, what do all of us want more than anything else? What do most people spend their lives pursuing in one form or another. All of us want to be happy, right? And not just the shallow, emotional type of happiness. We want deep, abiding joy. We want fulfillment. We want a sense of purpose. We want to believe that our lives are meaningful at the end of the day. And not many people, unless they're crazy... Uh, live out, set out to live a terrible, unhappy life. Hey, what are you doing with your life? Oh, I'm trying to ruin it as best as I can. I mean, that's ridiculous. All of us want to live a good, joy-filled life. That said, why then do so many people end up ruining their lives? Why do so many people end up unhappy? Why do so many people end up unfulfilled? Jim Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, tells about a man named Ben that he met one summer when he interned as a chaplain at a retirement center. Ben was this intimidating, harsh, 75-year-old man. And when Jim, as this young post-college age kid began meeting with him, others said, hey, good luck with that guy. They met several times together. They had conversations about philosophy and religion. And Jim could tell that Ben was just testing him to see if he was intelligent, to see if he was competent, see if he was trustworthy. And then in their seventh meeting, in as many days, Ben said this to Jim. I was born in 1910. I made my first million by 1935. I was 25 years old. And by the age of 45, I was the richest man in my state. Politicians wanted to be my friend. I lied, cheated, and stole from whoever I could. My motto was simple. Take all you can from whoever you can. I amassed wealth and everyone was impressed with me. I had a lot of power in those days. I had 2,000 employees, and all of them looked up to me or were afraid of me. Money was really all I cared about. I had three wives, all of who left me either because of neglect or because they caught me in one of my many affairs. And I have one daughter who is now in her 40s, but she refuses to speak to me. I suppose you could say that I have ruined my life. Because today, I have nothing, really. Oh, I still have a lot of money. I still have more money than I could ever spend. But that brings me no joy. I sit here each day waiting to die. I have nothing but bad memories. I cared about no one in my life, and now no one cares about me. You, young man, are all I have. Ben wanted to be happy, just like the rest of us. He wanted to live a good life, just like the rest of us. And by many people's standards, he did. He had plenty of money. He had lots of power. He had sexual freedom. 
But Ben said, I've ruined my life. I think Ben's life points out a very important truth. And that is, all of us live by certain conceptions or stories about what success and happiness are. These stories that we believe, even though they're not tangible, they have very practical outcomes. They affect the way that we act. They affect, they affect the, way that, the way that we do things. If we believe that money will bring us happiness, then we'll do whatever we can to chase after money so that we can have it in the hopes that we'll be happy. And as Ben's life demonstrates, not all of the stories that are out there are true. Not all of the stories that we could possibly live by translate into a good and beautiful life. In fact, the dominant cultural stories that are out there often do not translate into goodness and beauty. Many of them translate into bad and ugly stories, bad and ugly lives instead. Ben bought into a number of popular false stories, like a story that says, I must be in control at all time. And so he pursued power. A story that says all sexual desire is good. And so he had numerous affairs. A story that said lying is required to survive. And so he lied and cheated and stole. A story that says when people hit us, we should hit back harder. And so he used his power to make people afraid of him. A story that says my value is determined by other people's opinions of me. And so he used his wealth and his status to try to impress other people. A story that says that things bring happiness. And so he took all that he could from whoever he could. And yet living out those false narratives ruined Ben's life over time. The reason I follow Jesus is because I believe that the set of stories that Jesus tells about the nature of reality are true. That set of stories is true. Uh, get a Bible, and if, if you've got a regular Bible, uh, the non-paperback version, you can turn to Matthew 4. If you've got a paperback, you can turn to 661, Matthew 4, verse 17. We're going to read verse 17 and then um, verse 23. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And this is as Jesus is gearing up in Matthew 4:17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." And then in 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That set of stories that we're talking about that talk about the nature of reality that we live by, that determine our actions, that set of stories about reality, according to the Gospel of Matthew, is called the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus fleshes out that way of life, the way of life that emerges from those stories in perhaps his most famous section of teaching in Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount. Just right after the section that we read. And in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus tells story like tells stories like God is in control all the time. And so we can relinquish power and worry. Jesus tells a story that sexuality is intended for intimate relationships. 
And so we can flee from impersonal lust and casual sexuality. Another story Jesus tells is that truth tellers have nothing to fear. And so we can do what we say we're going to do. Another story is that violence is a dead end road. And so we love our enemies. Another story is that our value is determined by what God thinks of us. And so we can do what's right without being concerned about impressing others. Another story Jesus tells is that relationship with God and others is what brings happiness. And so we can live simple lives and we can give generously because that's not what makes us happy. Jesus fundamental contention all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven, the baseline message of all of these sets of stories that he tells about reality is that life in God's kingdom is the most good, the most beautiful life that can be lived. Ben told Jim that he was way too old for redemption. He was 75, after all. He had messed up way too much. And then Jim explained, well, God's favorite activity is redemption. And it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. That's what God specializes in. God specializes in renewing and restoring and redeeming. That's what he loves to do. And so they spent the rest of that summer that he interned with that retirement center talking through the Gospels and talking through the way of Jesus. And every meeting got more and more joyful until at the end of the summer, Ben told Jim that he had decided to follow Jesus and that he'd even asked for forgiveness from God. And and, in some strange sense, really felt like it worked, that God had forgiven him. He had even written a letter to his daughter, who who he was estranged from, asking her for forgiveness. And many years later, after that summer, Jim received a letter from Ben's daughter. She said in the letter that Ben had died at the age of 88, 13 years after they had spent that summer together. And she said that they had reconciled and that Ben had lived his last days with faith in Jesus. And that she said that Ben had spent his final years as a changed man. His first 75 years were largely bad and ugly, but his last few years, they were good and they were beautiful. Ben's story is an invitation to all of us who want to live a good and beautiful life. And that invitation is to follow Jesus and to believe that the set of stories that Jesus tells about the nature of reality is true. And it's it's not too late for any of us. If Ben is any case in point, as, as old as he was, he was still able to enter into a good and beautiful life before he died. It's not too late. It doesn't matter how messed up we think we are or what we think we've done that might separate us from something good and beautiful. That's, that's God's business. That's what God does. God is in the redemption business. So throughout the rest of the fall, for the next 12 or 13 or 14 weeks, we are going to be examining in our house church conversations the good and beautiful life that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to extend a personal invitation to each of you to try the teachings of Jesus on 
for size as we journey through to to try them on for size and see if they work, to see if they're actually good and beautiful. Um, Some of you believe that they are, believe that they're true. Some of you may not. And so try it out. Try it on for size. And if it doesn't fit, if it doesn't work, if it's not good and beautiful, beautiful, by all means, uh, leave it. Turn away from it. But don't don't do that until you try it, until you 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 do what you're reading and, and what Jesus is teaching and not just listen to it, because some of it is really hard. It is. This is hard stuff following Jesus. But I think it's the best way to live. And it's probably a lot easier than dealing with the kind of heartache that's associated with living a bad and ugly life. If you're serious about living more deeply into Jesus way of life, you can do three things. Number one, I'd encourage you to buy this book as we enter our conversations by Jim Smith, James Brian Smith. It's called The Good and Beautiful Life. It is the inspiration behind our conversations for the next few months. And uh, we'll link to it from the blog and from the website and email you so you'll have a reminder to, to go and find it if you're interested in it. Number two, after you get the book, um, there's a chapter that's associated with every week that we'll have a conversation in our house church gatherings. So I'd encourage you to read, read those chapters and read the associated scripture that's connected to that week's conversation. And third, there is a section at the end of every chapter called soul training exercises. I encourage you to engage in those. So Lauren is up here going like this. Soul training exercises. That's right. It's exercise for your soul. I'd encourage you to engage in those soul training exercises that are associated with each chapter and conversation. Doing those three things, buying the book reading the chapter in Scripture, and doing those soul training exercises, that is the kind of stuff that's going to make you available to God to do what God does best. And that's work by the power of His Holy Spirit to change you, to transform you, to build in you the character of Christ that flows out of this set of narratives that we've been talking about. This week's soul training exercise is writing a letter to God. Those of you who are willing, I, I, I encourage you sometime this week, write a letter to God that begins with, Dear God, the life I most want for myself is, and then the rest of the letter completes that opening prayer. The basic thought is to spend some time journaling or, or describing what the good and beautiful life might look like for you. Next week in our house church gatherings, we'll have some time to process for those who did write a letter to process that experience, to talk about what you learned about God and about yourself. And that rhythm of processing the soul training exercises is going to be a weekly rhythm for the next few months as we journey through this material together in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll send out an email again with that information about the book and also this soul training exercise. So you'll have a reminder. Let me just pause at this point and say a prayer um, for for all of us as we try to live into the good and beautiful life and um, for this conversation series and for those um, even beyond this gathering who are going to be participating with us in the weeks to come. God, we uh, we love you. You are good. And you are beautiful. 
And we're so thankful for um, the life that you call us into. It's not a life of drudgery. It's not a life of rule keeping or legalism. It's not a life of uh, having to, to deal with religious do's and don'ts. It is a good and beautiful life that's full of love and joy and compassion. Uh, the, the best things that were ever intended for us. We just we thank you for the life that you open up to us through Jesus. And I just pray for all of us uh, that you would help us to come out of the bad and the ugly in the next few weeks and months. That you would give us courage to engage this uh, conversation series. You'd give us courage to engage the Sermon on the Mount and this book that we're introducing. Um, and God, we pray that as we... For those of us who are courageous enough to put ourselves out there and to make ourselves available to you, would you give us the grace of changing us and transforming us so that we look more like Jesus, so that we can experience more and more of this good and beautiful life that we're talking about? God, give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a reason that the way of Jesus is a good and beautiful life. There's a reason why the stories that Jesus tells are a true reflection of reality. It's because Jesus is connected to God. The good and beautiful life is put on. It's made available by the good and beautiful God. And aren't, aren't we fortunate that God is good and beautiful and not bad and ugly? Can you imagine what our life would be like, what our world would be like if we lived and served a God that was bad and ugly? But no, Jesus and the God Jesus reveals is good and beautiful. He wants nothing more than for us to know that he loves us and he wants the best for us. So let's invite this good and beautiful God to reign in us as we have this time of worship and singing together.